0: You're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Susana Coming up.
1: Could also be a self fulfilling prophecy where we're talking ourselves into a conflict and it only uh, exacerbates the arms race.
0: The Orca submarine deal sets off alarm bells for China also.
2: Given this platform that Australia has given us, it has really boosted netball throughout the Pacific and China has taken quite an advantage of that.
0: Tom is looking to paint the world red again, this time through its nipple team.
3: And later on, we're just wanting to make sure that their voices and their stories are being heard.
0: Young Paswika writers will soon unveil their creative flair for World Poetry Day. A New Zealand geopolitical analyst says the Orca submarine deal could turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy for conflict. In a deal with the US and UK, Australia has agreed to acquire a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines, forecast to cost up to $368 billion Australian dollars through to the mid-2050s. Hours after the AUKUS plans were announced on Tuesday, China's foreign ministry repeated its long-standing position that the deal reflected a typical Cold War mentality that would stimulate an arms race. China also said the deal would sabotage the international nuclear non-proliferation system. Geoffrey Miller, who writes for Victoria University's political commentary website, The Democracy Project, speaks with Caleb Fotheringham.
1: This is a huge deal. It really takes the strategic competition up a notch. There are only six countries at the moment that have nuclear-powered submarines, and they're all big powers: uh, China, India, Russia, the United Kingdom, the US, France. Uh, and now you're going to have a seventh, Australia, which is not even a G7 member. It's only has 25 million people, and it's going to have nuclear-powered submarines. So it doesn't get much bigger than that as a symbol. And I think this is as much about the symbolism as the practical impact of Australia having these nuclear-powered submarines that will allow them to patrol the Pacific by stealth. Remember, that's the whole advantage of nuclear-powered submarines, that you don't need to come up Uh, for air very often. It means you can go for a very, very long time underwater and uh, conduct all kinds of operations.
4: So why is Australia doing this?
1: In a word, China. It's all about China, and it's all about Taiwan now in particular. I think there's been a real reassessment of risk post-Ukraine, and we've really seen tensions go up a lot in the last year since Russia invaded Ukraine in the Indo-Pacific. And in a sense, they're not related, but yet they are related because the Russia's invasion of Ukraine was a a black swan moment. And I think a lot of analysts have changed their view on how likely China is to invade Taiwan. So I think it's in some ways a reaction to that. But of course, you've got to remember that this deal was unveiled originally back in 2021. So it's also bigger than than just what we've seen in the last year. I guess this is a a long-term decision based on a long-term assessment of China. So there are some long-term factors at play here. I guess Australia, the UK, the US will see this very much as being about deterrence as much as anything. I think another way of looking at it though is that this could also be a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're talking ourselves into a conflict and it only uh, exacerbates the arms race uh, in the Indo-Pacific. You know, Countries all around the region are rearming and are spending more on their militaries now, whether it's China, Australia, New Zealand reviewing its defence policy at the moment and is likely to be spending more. Japan unveiled a huge increase in their military spending uh, at the end of last year. Um, So everyone is spending more on the military. I worry that this kind of deal, the AUKUS deal, will only make things worse perhaps in the long run. The more we have of this, of these kinds of power projections... And the less dialogue we have, I think the more likely it is that we, we're ultimately going to bring about this conflict that we're all trying to avoid. So uh, it is a scary time for the world, a scary time for the Indo-Pacific. I think we do need to think about de-escalation even more, and let's not talk ourselves into World War Three. And uh, that might seem like a dramatic statement to make, but I think that's perhaps the the assessment that the likes of Australia, the UK, US have sort of come to this idea that there will be some kind of conflict and we need to prepare for that. Uh, I think, you know, we need to think very carefully about what that means and uh, really redouble our effort to engage and to to de-escalate.
4: Okay, so obviously a huge deal. So how has China responded and how have other people responded internally in some of these countries, like Australia, the UK, and the US.
1: Well, China has responded as we would expect. They've condemned the deal outright. They've said Australia is going down a dangerous path. That it's an error. That it's increasing the arms race. And you know, you would you would find that uh, all very predictable. Really, they've made their their displeasure clear, and they made it clear back in. 2021. So they're doubling down on on that, and you would very much expect that, given that this arrangement is openly aimed at China. I mean, I don't think uh, Australia and the US, the UK, are making any secret of who this is aimed at. NATO called China the you know their biggest strategic challenge last year at their summit. So China knows it's very much the target of of all of this. When you look at it on the Australia, UK, US side, I think. There's generally a lot of positivity towards this agreement. You've seen a lot of talk in the UK, for example, about the number of jobs it will provide, the same in Australia as well. And yes, the the military-industrial complex is alive and well, and this will provide a lot of jobs. You know, war-making does do that. But there is some dissent as well. You've seen Paul Keating, the former Australian prime minister, come out swinging really against this. He's called it the worst deal in history. I think... Perhaps we will see some more nuanced views in the months and years to come. Remember, this is a deal uh, spanning decades, and uh, we're just at the, the very beginning of uh, the announcement of this deal, and we're all digesting what it all means for us.
4: Okay, what about Pacific countries? Should Pacific countries be concerned by this deal?
1: I think they should. I mean, I think anyone should be concerned about this deal because you know, it's what it signals, this idea of a, a great conflict between the superpowers. I think we all do better when the world's at peace, uh, you know, whatever country you're in. And this deal kind of suggests that war is more likely in the future. It could be decades away. It could be only a handful of years away. So I think it's not good news. I think it means a lot of money is going to be going into military spending. I mean, it's obvious. This deal is going to cost a lot of money. So Australia is going to be spending uh, more money on defence, that money's not going into other areas, not going into aid, not going into uh, climate change prevention, all of these other areas that it could be spent on. Um, and it's bringing in nuclear-powered submarines in, into this region where they have not been before. You know, I talked about the countries that already have uh, nuclear-powered submarines. None of them are in the southern hemisphere. Well, there will be one now, uh, Australia. Um, that could make Australia a target to some degree and the scene of, of uh, conflict in, in the future indirectly. You know, clearly, the Pacific is the centre of attention at the moment, and we've seen that with the Pacific countries going to the summit in Washington last year and the rumours that uh, Joe Biden could be visiting uh, the Pacific later this year, which will be quite extraordinary if it happens, just given how rare it is that the US president... Uh, it comes down to this part of the world. So you know, I think the Pacific is probably going to be involved in some shape or form, whether it likes it or not, with, with AUKUS.
4: Before you said that no countries in the Southern Hemisphere had any nuclear-powered submarines, does this undermine the South Pacific Nuclear-Free Agreement?
1: That's come up, certainly, the Treaty of Rarotonga, and, and what this means, and Australia's given some guarantees on that about not carrying nuclear weapons and so forth. There's been concerns about nuclear proliferation expressed. Now sometimes these are expressed by the Chinese sometimes they're expressed by other outside experts. I think they should be taken seriously these concerns. Nuclear technology is dangerous for a reason and and putting nuclear technology in a submarine if that submarine is attacked there is a risk at that point if there's an accident there's a risk at that point so you've now got a nuclear technology floating around in submarines around the coast of Australia. I, I think we should be concerned about that. I think it also does set a bad precedent for other countries. You might say, well, we can trust Australia, and the IAEA has given their blessings but to some degree for this arrangement, that it's compliant. Um, I think it's perhaps compliant by the letter of the law, perhaps not by the spirit.
0: Nepal is celebrating the Tala's recent climb to 7th place in the World Rankings as they continue to work hard to prepare for the World Cup in South Africa in July. The team climbed to 9th place after winning all of their international matches last year with the new rankings announced earlier this month. They now sit ahead of former Pacific leaders Fiji, Cook Islands and Papua New Guinea. It's the side's biggest achievement to date – and Nipples Chief Executive Salote Sisifa talks to RNZ Pacific Senior Sports Journalist Elisa Tora about the team's preparations.
2: Thank you very much, Elie, for the opportunity. Uh, Tala continues to make preparations, and of course our team is not your normal team where the team stays together and prepares together. We heavily rely on uh, sports science and technology um, as our team live in two countries, New Zealand and Australia and in different states as well. So the whole monitoring and preparations and uh, all that, we heavily rely on uh, technology, sports science, the honesty of the players, mm-hmm. and also their self-discipline. So that's how things are going in terms of the coaching staff uh, and also the management following up on the girls. Uh, they have their continuous Zooms, and uh, they're all receiving their programs, uh, continuous um discussions with the kind of assistance that uh, the team and each player is needing uh, with the way of the setup of our team comes extra costs uh, and with that it's a price we have to pay because of the whole uh, geographical uh, status of Dala and its uh, composure that's, that, that's where we're at. But in terms of um, preparation it's full on and I have to commend the coaching staff led by Jaco Purimake Simpson for the work that they're doing behind the scenes, just to keep uh, everyone in
3: place
5: here. How many players are in the squad at the moment that's preparing? Uh, And and also, um, how does the upcoming series uh, fit into the preparations for Tala?
2: So for the whole squad, um, the coach had opened up and she had made some invitations. Uh, based on uh, expression of interest that we, uh, from Netball, upon recommendation of uh, the coaching staff. Um, the, the squad is a total of 25, and they will all be at the camp next month, lead up to our first competition for the year at the Gold Coast. Uh, from then, uh, Jaco will name 15 that will be uh, playing, competing in April. Uh, From there, there'll be another camp in um, May and also June. There'll be split camps for Australia and New Zealand. And then there'll be one final uh, tour to Australia of the DALA team uh, early July, which they'll be playing the top Australian um, clubs. Uh, This is the whole lead-up for the World Cup. And then they uh, return to their homes, and by around the 18th, 19th of July, Sala will assemble in Sydney to make their way to South Africa.
5: Um, from, from the squad that you had in 2022, are there any changes? Are there any players that have uh, moved on to other things that uh, they might have gone into?
2: Right. From, from the squad in uh, October, we have two players who will not be joining us next month. One, uh, she's serving her mission, and uh, the other player, um, we have one of our girls uh, that is expecting uh, her second child. So that's the two that won't be in next month. But other than that, all the players will be there uh, from last uh, uh, the tournaments of October. And then we'll have the new ones who are coming in. Um, and again, it'll all be based on merit, what's on court. And then the uh, coaching staff will make their final call for the 15 to represent uh, Dala and Tonga next month at the Pacific Bars game.
5: On, on the um, uh, ranking, current ranking for World Netball, Tala uh, is on seventh, some some achievement uh, over the years and, and uh, best so far. Uh, what can you say on that, uh, Lotte?
2: I think I definitely have to commend the coaching staff there on the work that they have put in over uh, time uh, towards the performance and outcomes that Dala have displayed on court. At the same time, um, you know, I think it also credits the way TALA has won the, their games, not only winning by winning by margins, um, it towards, you know, teams like Samoa and Fiji who, and Cook Islands who have been well-ranked and have um, won against stronger teams of uh, the Africans, uh, the Europeans over the years. So this has all added on to where we are at the moment and just a part about really grateful for Pacific Oz for creating the opportunity uh, for Tala to continue play as well as the... Countries of the Pacific, because it is within those games that we're getting, you know, to where we are in terms of ranking. There are requirements, of course, of the uh, World Netball that we have to play specific games uh, during a certain time. And without the specific Odds platform, we would not be getting this as usual. For the uh, Pacific Island teams, we usually just wait for the Pacific Games or the mini games, which is uh, affordable for us to participate in. And um, you know, we we cannot. Uh, afford to do those tours of the Africans and the Europeans. But, um, you know, given this platform that Australia has given us, it has really boosted netball uh, throughout the Pacific and, and Tonga has taken quite an advantage of
5: that. Uh, just the last one, looking forward to the Gold Coast Series, uh, uh, especially with the, the additions of uh, other teams that have come in to join the Pacific teams. Um, how do you see that working out for Tala in, in the lead-up to the to the World Cup?
2: I think from the coach's point of view, and and, uh, Jacqueline may want to add to this, uh, I think she's just really, uh, you know, put Tonga's best foot forward. And, uh, you know, we're very grateful for all the players who have come through so far. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, it will be based on merit and what they select from who's uh, out there to represent Tonga. So uh, we look forward for a good, strong team that will be representing us uh, next month. As said, the former players are all coming through our squad from October and of course some new ones who will be uh, just, uh, some of them are, are coming through as training partners uh, for next month's camp before we uh, name, before the coach names her team to represent Tonga at the uh, Pacific Arts Games.
5: Thank you Lotte lot there, Thank you very much for your time. All the best uh, to the to the team and the squad. Thank you, eh? Yeah, Malo.
0: A new collection of poetry from Pacifica students across Aotearoa is being published in a book to be released on World Poetry Day next week. Called Pasifika Navigators, the book is a result of a project by publisher Miller's Books with support from the Ministry of Education. It involved 52 young writers from years 7 to 13 from Christchurch, Wellington, Hawke's Bay and Auckland. The poems are curated into a journey through language, culture and identity from the author's perspectives. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with author, publisher, and director of Miller's books, Dahlia Malaiulu, about the collection.
3: Um, so, Pacifica Navigators is the world's first uh, Pacifica student poetry collection. And it involves 52 beautiful Pacifica students from year 7 to 13 across Aotearoa, Christchurch, Wellington, Hawkes Bay, and uh, Auckland. Um, all of their voices their stories we worked alongside them and it is being released next week world poetry day uh, March 21st uh, 2023 so yeah really excited mm.
6: and and how was how were the students selected how mm. what was the what was the process there
3: yep so um just keeping in mind um is as part of what we do of Miller's books our Pacifica values are quite central to every project we approach. Uh, So the usual submission process was not necessarily the usual. (laughs) Um, And what we did is we invited schools, we approached schools, and basically, if you submitted, if you were a Pasifika student and you were interested and you submitted a piece, you basically were guaranteed. And the only requirement um, around that was that, uh, that you kind of make full use of the support on offer, the feedback that was given and work with us to make sure that your piece, your ideas uh, were moulded and edited and crafted in a way that just really honed into what you were wanting to say. So along that journey, obviously there were in- online and in-person workshops. Uh, there was ongoing feedback Um, online so students had access to that so did the teachers as well so teachers uh, they had to be lead teachers to support but in saying that we also had uh, individuals whose families approached us or individuals who whose schools said no thank you for whatever reason Um, but individuals who said no but I want to do it and then they came and approached us so that in a nutshell was kind of the process that we took to to collect these beautiful stories yeah
6: are they arranged in any particular order, mm. or um, how, how, is the, how is the book laid out?
3: Yep, so as part of uh, collecting the stories, all we said to the kids was um, the themes that we're aiming for is language, culture, identity. So it was very broad, um, and we did that on purpose, so not to uh, kind of control the narrative or to um, get kids almost to focus almost like what school does, unfortunately. We didn't want to prescribe anything. We wanted the kids to be free to share uh, what they wanted to share about those topics. So um, in terms of the order of the stories, uh, because they came out so beautifully, we actually had a lot of different options. We were thinking, yeah, we're going to do it in year groups. Oh, maybe we'll do it from the cultural background of the students because they are across the Pacific, including... um, Students who have uh, written a poem about their beautiful Kiribati Islands, um, as well as Papua New Guinea as well. So we thought about that. But then when it actually happened and the results and the, the poems that came through, we just knew that it's almost like they we had to order them in a journey because they've been written that way. Um, There, it starts from the beginning with lovely Lily Williams from Hastings Girls High School, and hers is called Mother Tongue, and it's talking about forgetting, forgetting her mother tongue. Um, And it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. And then you've got almost these up and down roller coaster um, experiences through the poems in the middle, and then you've got an award winning. Uh, Pacifica student poet Eneselene Ali from Marcellin College, um, who's got a letter smack bang in the middle of the book on purpose called Dear Little Brown Kid. Um, so it's almost like this roller coaster, you hit um, Dear Little Brown Kid, give you some motivation, you kind of go on more roller coasters in terms of our language, our culture, our identity journeys that these students are on, and then we end um, with a poem called Choices. So it definitely was ordered in terms of uh, as a reflection of what our temeti are kind of going through at the moment. And I just feel like the reason why we keep doing stories like this and for our, our, especially our young adults, our teenagers, our intermediate kids, is because this is how they're feeling. And um, this is how they're feeling. This is how they're seeing the world. This is how they're seeing themselves in the world. Um, And we're just wanting to make sure that their voices and their stories are being heard and that some real change comes from it, yeah.
6: Would you like to read us a little bit from the book? um, uh... Yes,
3: yes, absolutely. Um, And this is what I love about the poems um, is that there's actually a really good range. (laughs) Like there's some laugh out loud ones, um, kids with their spunky and funny personalities, good old islander humor. Um, And then there are some quite heartbreaking ones. There are, Um, ones that take you back to your childhood and you can actually hear your parents saying that to you (laughs) so um, yeah definitely, definitely, definitely now this one, this one's a bit of a special one Um, this was from uh, Carmen uh, from Tower College so freedom freedom, choosing what I want I don't know, doesn't mean I won't know, money is not my incentive, status is not success, island spirit under attack, pulling Pushing, be this, be that. All for you? Where am I? Who am I? Do you care? I am drowning in your dreams for me. I wait for the day to choose, act, say what I want for me. Please, school system, take your foot off my neck. Let me breathe. I just need a taste of freedom to keep my head, my body above ground. World, let me be. Let me breathe
6: beautiful, thank you. I
3: know.
6: Once this is um, officially launched where, where can people get a, a, mm. their hands on a copy of uh, Pacifica Navigators?
3: Yes, so uh, uh, they are available from our main book retailer, Langi Roots from the Pacific, based here in Lower Heart Wellington, but they actually deliver all over New Zealand, nationwide delivery and to Australia as well, so that's for the general public if you are a school or a library, you can also get a copy of Pacifica Navigator is from our book distributor PDL, um, and they also distribute everywhere internationally as well.
6: Thank you, Tomas. Always a pleasure, Dalia. Thank you so much for coming in.
3: Lava. Thank you so much, let That's Pacific Ways for
0: today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, IHA, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you,